0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop podcast. My name is Aaron and I'm your host here. Unfortunately, this week, though, uh, Miss Aaron Cooper is not with us. She is uh, indisposed somehow, I guess. But as a special treat sitting across the table from me is one of my longtime friends and the uh, guy I made it through COVID with. Welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Ivey, everybody. Oh, thanks, Aaron.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you for uh, thank you for coming and sitting in the office studio and drinking with me. (laughs) (laughs) For a change. So, um, we there's there's a a billion things we could talk about because most of the time we just sit and bullshit ourselves, anyways. But uh, do you remember how you and I met? God, Aaron. was it at Belcourt Taps? It might have been, because I know that we met back when I was in my old band, Dart Road Degenerates, but I can't remember if you came to watch us uh, because you knew me or if you knew the old guy I was in my band with. Or was it like a 12-step program, like an alcoholic? <laughs> <laughs> we were high <laughs> Maybe. <on Paul. laughs> but it's good to see you, buddy. Thanks hey. for coming out today. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. So I believe that it was uh, sometime back in probably... Late 2017, maybe early 2018, that we met. Does that sound about right? Yep, that sounds about right. When did you actually move to Nashville?
1: Uh, about
0: 2017, uh, right around 17? Christmas time. Okay, got you. So maybe it was maybe it was 18 sometime when we actually actually met. Well, uh, yeah. I yeah, that seems about right. Maybe four years or so. Yeah. Well, we've definitely spent our fair share of time together. When, uh, because however it was that we met, there was definitely a beer in our hand.
1: And and it continues to this day. It
0: continues to this day. Cheers, buddy. So, Paul and I are currently drinking Long Neck Budweiser and a uh, a nice Bellmead on the rocks. Bellmead, how convenient! Hell, convenient. yeah so uh, this has been a favorite of mine and a favorite, of maybe, of yours. Yep. Like, I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: It's the house bottle. <laughs>
0: I, it is the house bottle. I leave a loner over at Paul's <laughs> place anytime I want to go over and hang out.
1: Well, well I, I, I think it was last year. Eric, Aaron bought a case of twelve of these. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a I, deal. I
0: bought uh, fourteen bottles. Oh, yeah. Fourteen bottles. I yeah. bought two six pack cases and I bought two top shelf bottles. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so that was a. Uh, he dropped one. This off. is there's two, now two left. There is. Uh, three left sorry there's two regular bell mead bourbons and then i've got one of those top shelf bottles left i've treated myself well to well, say the it's, least it's they
1: haven't not done you wrong
0: no it has not but paul and i spent uh an egregious amount of time together during covid because uh he had a, a little patio that was big enough for two <laughs> yeah so there were there were days and we, i mean we probably did it three or four days a week for a while, right?
1: Yeah, right at the beginning of the, like, you know, when the lockdown came, when you were not, you were not allowed to go anywhere, you just had to stay in shelter. We just,
0: we sheltered. <laughs> we sheltered. <laughs> we
1: sheltered with beer. <laughs> <laughs> and we basically just talked. And we, and we talked. That was the, the most beautiful part of having Aaron as a friend, is that we have these, Endless conversations—they <laughs> go nowhere. They mean nothing, and yet we're entertaining ourselves. And,
0: <laughs> I, I think I—I I hate saying it, but you're—you're you're totally right. They go nowhere, and <laughs> there's absolutely no point to any of it. But for some reason, we're always entertained. Yeah,
1: which is the most important thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you've—you've you've been a, a musician of many varieties. You're a songwriter. You're a guitar player. You've done your uh, your share touring. So how did how'd you get involved in music early on? What was uh, what was it that lit that fire under your ass? Well,
1: I was always musically inclined, and I, and even when I was four and five years old, my uh, parents would uh, ask me to put on certain records, and even though I couldn't read, obviously, I knew the sounds, and I was just surrounded by music. And my mother came to me, I was about 12 years old, and she said, Paul, you're going to learn to play an instrument. I don't care what it is. Pick That's one. That's cool. And um, I saw... a. God playing a guitar, well, and I said, "Was the
0: guitar the first
1: one?" Yeah, well, the, the only one. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And that was it. And I just said, "Okay, I'll do that." She said, "Okay, that's <laughs> neat." Yeah, and she started giving. They gave me lessons. And did your parents
0: give you lessons themselves?
1: Oh no, they sent me. <laughs> they sent me to a music school in L.A. I was in Los Angeles, and I'll always remember. I used to have to take the bus. It was like twelve, and I had my guitar in a case, and I'd have to take the bus, and I would walk down the street to where my music school was and across the street there was a bar. Okay. And every time I was walking down the street to take my lesson, I would see my teacher come out of the bar <laughs> <laughs> and walk into this
0: pregame teaching. Pre game teaching.
1: <laughs> and he would walk into the school before me. I would take my lesson. And then as I was walking back up the street... He'd go back to the bar. I'd look over my shoulder and
0: he was going back (laughs) to the bar.
1: And I should have known right then and there.
0: Wow. That's the life. What what were some of those records that you remember uh, listening to when you were a kid?
1: Well, my grandma, she was a real country fan.
0: Like Uh, classic, like Hank Williams Sr.? Exactly. Classic country. Yeah,
1: classic country. um, um, Teresa Brewer um all of these top there was a show called hip parade and she would and she had a beautiful voice and she would sing these songs and you know you're cheating heart and just a cappella. she was just amazing That's cool and i was just surrounded by this beautiful voice so i just slowly became you know like to play guitar and played a recital at the school and um uh, my first band was actually, I was in a jug band. You ever hear of a jug, a jug w- band? A jug band I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I was in a band called Ma's
0: Preserved Jug Band. I was the guitar, rhythm guitar player. <laughs> and it was kind of like bluegrass blue I I can't believe we've been friends this long, and I didn't know that about you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you were in a jug band. I was band. in a jug band. Where, yep. uh, so you were, in the were you born in New York? Is that where you were born? It's New Jersey, but New my parents Jersey.
1: divorced when I was five. Gotcha. And then they moved my mother and my new father moved to california
0: gotcha so you grew up down in was it los angeles yeah pretty so much. you you were there for the the heyday of of sunset strip weren't you with the 70s and the 80s
1: i got into a little bit of that yeah in <laughs> fact i remember with that jug band we weren't old enough to really get paid but we were playing these bars on sunset strip and they would pay us with pizza and a coke Coca-Cola. I mean, it was
0: the 70s. I wasn't going to put it past (laughs) that. Yeah, I
1: know. (laughs) I think every 13-year-old should try a little cocaine. No, just Back
0: when I was very first starting my my career up in uh, Missouri, there were uh, only a couple of open mics in my hometown that I could go to, and the one that I I really grew into was at a dive bar called Eastside Tavern, and it was owned by this uh, old, like, Hair metal guy, I mean old I mean, back when I was twenty one he seemed old, he was probably forty, right, but he had he still had the huge, long hair and he had just biker denim, just leather everywhere named Sal, no last name, Sal, just Sal got it, but I was so poor when I was in college playing those open mics that uh he would uh host this open mic at his bar, and if you played the open mic for free. You got free pizza, so he was he was exchanging free entertainment for me, who was too poor to buy food. Oh, so I was working for my dinner. But I I've been right there. Yeah, man. Pizza and coke. That's right. We'll tell you which. I won't tell you which one I was having. <laughs> <laughs> Just yep. kidding, Grandma.
1: Just kidding, out there, folks. Yeah. We but there are. was
0: a there was a small little open mic circuit there with maybe six or eight of us who'd go play every week and. That, oh, so you all knew each other? Yep. So we, we went there and it was really early on. It's like my only exposure to any kind of a community where we'd go meet at the same bar every week and we'd play the same songs. And it was very similar to this life that I ended up living here in Nashville. <laughs> I was going to say, very similar. Very similar. So you grew up uh, in Southern California. So Cal, yeah. Were you ever in the uh, the like rocker scene? Was that yours? Or were you more folksy country? More folksy. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't
1: into heavy metal.
0: Basically, you were never a Metallica guy, or a, or a. Let's see, who else would have been uh, around there? God, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, those kind of guys.
1: Well, I knew of them, you know, but I was. Those weren't the like the records I was buying or listening to. What records were you buying? Well, blues, you know, English, Mm -hmm. English blues. uh, Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac started as a blues band, right? It did. Um, Listen to those guys,
0: um, Alvin Lee. Um, It's funny, I forget who the producer is that uh, worked on those early uh, Fleetwood Mac records, but there's a documentary uh, about some studio they recorded uh, Rumors in, and uh, this producer was talking to them about their record that they were recording, and the band was complaining how it it wasn't a blues record anymore. And this producer goes, it may not be close to the blues, but it's a lot closer to the bank. (laughs) Yeah, money if if that's not true, one of the most successful records of all time. Oh man, yeah. That's 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 pretty
1: much you know we we would actually wait for our favorite bands to come out with a new vinyl album, and we would li- all listen to it like it was a TV show, like it was a. Um,
0: you'd sit. I mean, you'd, you'd sit down and put it record. on. Yeah, that's. I think that's something that has kind of died. Is the the art of just sitting and listening to an entire album? Yeah. I mean, I I do that when I drive. I'll put on like an album or something, oh, yeah. but there's I I've got a record player at home. I've got a turntable and everything, but it's it's not very often I'll sit down and just actively listen to a record. Well, we would wait for it, you know. Oh, there's a big deal.
1: Such, and such a it's got a new record coming out. Let's go get it and go listen. We get high and then we'd listen to the record. Are you a big Dylan fan? Yeah. Yeah. Th- that, big Dylan fan. I was a big Neil Young fan. Um um yeah, B- Dylan was a big influence. When that guy came on the scene, it sort of changed a lot of shit. How so? They had never heard it. Well, first of all, songs were – well, he's kind of created the artist-songwriter deal. Like okay. songs were written by people and then they would be given to artists to sing. That whole concept of a r- artist writing his m- own material – and singing it and putting oh wow, it. I didn't know that
0: that was that, was that a, wasn't common, was no, it?
1: No, that was a whole new thing, and that changed around those times when um, you know people like him and Joni Mitchell, these were artists who actually wrote their tunes and then would you know make a record and then tour.
0: Yeah, and I mean, apparently, and had fans, you had fans. They had fans, and now apparently they're like that. That was. Probably one of those those, pan, those like linchpins that changed changed a, our industry. Exactly, that's man. what I'm saying. That was all, you that, got to see that happen real time. That's yeah. that's awesome, man. Yeah,
1: because songs were written up in Tin Pan Alley in New York, and you know gave out to artists. And you know in Nashville, I mean, I, I know a lot of artists don't write their own songs either. Mm-hmm. But that was a turning point. Yep, man, yeah, that's cool. Doing, so
0: yeah, uh, I also know this about you, but uh you you done a touring or you you did stints i don't know if you were a hired gun or if you were part of a band or
1: yeah they would what they would do is like put a band together like in la cuz there would be like these um sheets where you'd see who's looking for a player mm-hmm. Go down there audition. Just a call, just a call board for something. Exactly, and then and then you know if they liked you, they'd put you on the road. That's cool. You'd all meet maybe for the first time, <laughs> At go, a gig. going to the gig. <laughs> but it was cash, and we were young, and you know you get out of town and you get to travel and play fucking music. How
0: long did you uh, do
1: touring gigs like that? yeah maybe eight years, nine years. Okay. In fact, the one when I came to Nashville, the one person I actually knew in Nashville, I knew one person was John McElroy. No way! And he was, uh, and he had made some uh, good hits. That's cool. In the eighties, and he was my buddy. But we had toured. That's awesome. We were in Hawaii for about three months, and his brother Ned. So Ned uh,
0: you've been in Hawaii touring. You toured up in Alaska for a while, correct? Oh, yeah. What Canada. did you do up there? Played in
1: one of these bands.
0: Was it one of the? Were you uh, doing like different cities, or were you like a house band at a bar or something?
1: The one in Alaska, mm-hmm. we were a house band. House at, band. For, That's For cool. like three months, but then there were other times. Where were we... you
0: doing two, two or three or four hour sets up there? Yeah, just cover tunes. It's oh, top forties. Yeah. All cover tunes. Top forties. Yeah. Man, that's a crab that, fisherman. That's a world I never got into. I I was n- never well, interested in playing cover songs. Have you ever played like done the Broadway I, thing? I I mean, I know you have gigs. I there. have never done a proper like 3 or 4 hour Broadway set. I have never done that. I've performed on Broadway back when I was in Dirt Road Degenerates. Right. We played at uh, Acme Feed and Seed, at first in Broadway there across from the Hard Rock and we, we did a couple of sets. We were the uh, intermission act for a relative, I, I would say like a, a C-level country player named uh, Johnny Highland. Um, and we were the, uh, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant player. C-level as far as fame goes. But, yeah, technique though. He's technique a- goes. He is one of the best guitarists I've ever seen. Yeah. But uh, we were his uh, intermission act. So when he and his mm. band would do their songs and their cover tunes, uh, they would take like a 25 or 30-minute break, and then my band would do our music.
1: I think I was there for one of those. I think you were. I had done this taping for a uh, – that there was a music show that lasted for about a minute, one of those judging kind of shows. And we had uh, come over afterwards to
0: see you at uh, – but okay. I I like Acme for and Veil. I like the upstairs. There's a top floor uh, yeah. you could see out. Yeah, having that rooftop. Uh, did you know that the, I think it was a couple of years ago, the rooftop at Acme Feed and Seed actually collapsed? Oh, no. The third floor, the patio up on the roof actually collapsed oh, while Lord. people were up on it. There were just too many people there. Wow. Yeah. So, danger, danger. I'm sure that it's steadily reinforced now.
1: Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, all things to say, I've never done a proper Broadway cover set, and I don't have any interest in doing that. Like, Oh, I think yeah. it'd be fun to do maybe one, like, just to go play some, and I I wouldn't want to do four hours. I think it'd be fun to have, like, let's do, I'll, I'll sub in on a guitar for six songs. You know, I totally respect, you know,
1: Sarah May and Ally Seeley and uh, these girls, they go down there, Andrea Goodman. Page
0: Rose is one of those they also. They play
1: four hours in the morning, they play for four hours at
0: night, and they're just like amazing i know i have some of my friends who are down on broadway they'll do doubles and triples every day and and see it sounds that sounds awful but if you're doing doubles five days a week that's you're literally just putting in your 40-hour work week that's all it is that's all it is and they get and they get you can get cash
1: yeah hard cash down there yeah and those tourists that's a tour hey yo, nashville's tourist town let's face it that's
0: yeah, that's something that I have begrudgingly had to accept: is the the tourist industry here is king, and even though songwriting is what makes this town what it is, no one wants to go to Broadway and hear your song. Unfortunately, that is true. unless your song it is on is the radio, on the radio, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: it's funny. Uh, friends of the show, uh, Josh Beal and Kate Hastings, they used to be. Uh, they used to be in a. Duo called Hasting and Co. Yeah, um, I think they're on a hiatus right now because Josh is actually on tour playing bass for Priscilla Block, nice a tour stop alum, and they just played the CMA Fest that we, uh, the show we went to. Um, Priscilla played that intermission show between Jason Aldean and Zach Brown. That was oh, my friend on stage. Whoa,
1: yeah. Yep, but I know they guys.
0: Uh, Kate Hastings and Josh Beal wrote several of her songs, and I think they co-wrote with Priscilla um, her big, like, the one that got her her record deal, which is called uh, Just About Over You. But, wow. yeah, exactly. People don't want to hear your songs yeah. unless they're on the radio. If you're on Broadway, if you leave downtown, or at least leave the strip there, there's definitely places where people will want to hear original music
1: well and that right taking it picking it up where you left off there is like the beauty of what you do and i know you sponsor and pro- promote so many rounds and there's others in town and that's the beauty of nashville i mean if you really come here with something to say you've got a and you there's wanna, a platform for that there's a stu- bar stool <laughs> on every corner man you could sing your heart out
0: it's it's crazy because there's so many there's so many of these writers rounds in town and i uh, since we've been here, pretty much, I think I've only been here like six months longer than you, maybe. But so we've been here for pretty much the same length of time, and these these rounds really can just pop up and go away just out of nowhere. They they come and go so quick. So stuff like tour stop that's been happening for four years is really a sign of both the people in town who like it and the people in town who uh, have have something they want to say and do just because. Man, there's so many that's like, if you want to go play that bar, this person's booking it. Oh, that bar closed. Oh, that person doesn't host the show anymore. It's, it's hard to find these, I don't want to call myself a pillar, but these things that are just set. They're predictable. They always happen.
1: And, co- the, and the same people come. You, yeah. you have the same acts and the same people that are even, I mean, I go to them when I'm not even playing just to come and hang out. And you want to see your friends there. Yeah, you want to see your friends. And I think that's a beautiful part of it, the camaraderie and the friendship. and And it's always a good hang.
0: Always a good hang. And see, I, I believe it was uh, you who told me Barbara Cloyd the other day said uh, something about, like, the, the most important thing in Nashville is just being a good hang. Be
1: a good hang, you know. I mean, songwriters are just, like, hanging on trees. I mean, I, I, my buddy Brad Knoll played me some songs once. That he used to help uh, Walker Hayes write. And, no way. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. They used to had this little studio, a little shed, he used to call it. <laughs> and he played me some songs that never saw the light of day. But we're like, they make your hair stand up. They were so good, and you would be like, "What? What happened here?" And it's you know, it's it's just a gale It's a crapshoot. You just
0: never know. See, I I would tried writing a song about that last night. Uh, actually, it was called. Uh, the idea behind it was just a day away. But it's like we're we're all just. It could it could be one song away from mm-hmm. making it. We're one one day away from being just. A superstar. All and the that's how far and it. how close we yeah. all are to this stuff.
1: Uh, and that's the allure of it. That is the allure of it's it, like because you never know.
0: Like Some of the dumbest songs in music history have probably been written after 15 beers, <laughs> and it's just, you didn't care about all the rules and songwriting, logistics, and whatever, and you're just like, uh, this is funny. <laughs> and then next thing you know, you have a work tape of it, and then you have a demo, and then Some big country actor's like, this is a great song. I want to cut that. And you're like, wow, I don't really even remember writing that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's always how you know it's a good song.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a a guy in town with that. Have you ever heard that song, Dicked Down in Dallas? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's one of those songs where I don't think they wrote that intending it to be the song... Uh, that's Trey Lewis. I don't think he wrote that with his friends intending it for be the to be the song that would get him to open for Kid Rock on right. tour. But like, he he's on the road and he's got a full time life as a musician now because of that. It's proof again <laughs> that you never know what is going to what is going to work. So, what do you think it really comes down to? I mean. Yes,
1: we would all be like to become rich. We would all like to be well-known and famous. But don't you think there's a fun factor that just keeps this ball yeah. rolling?
0: Yeah. So there's this uh, this song called uh, Too Much Fun by Daryl Singletary. And it's just another one of those things. It's like everyone's writing these heartfelt ballads and the, the you broke my heart, but I'm a better person for... Fuck that. <laughs> daryl singletary had it right it's just like there's it's just too much fun it's like there ain't no there ain't i forget i forget what the hook is but it ain't no thing is like a too much fun or ain't no such thing as too much fun and like that's all we're after and that's why so much country music is just about beer and hanging out with your friends is because all we're after is a good time sing, sing what you know sing right, what write, you what you know. You, write what you know you gotta live a life worth writing about and it turns out most life in country music is about hanging out with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and bars and drinking. I mean,
1: it's just what, you know. I mean, I really, I, I, I've i always loved country music. I mean, I started listening when I was listening, like you asked me back then, bluegrass. Uh, uh, I always liked bluegrass gospel. Okay. The harmonies in bluegrass gospel. Of course, the message and with the Lord is beautiful. But those people, those harmonies... I think one of my favorite things is is harmony. That's something those that country music does harmony. exceptionally well. Yeah, and
0: I think as a parallel, uh, like hard rock music is done because if you go back and listen to those like uh, hair metal bands, they're doing really extreme harmony sometimes, and that's something that a lot of music, hip hop, and things like that, they just don't they don't incorporate that as much because there's so much other stuff, the beat, the rhythm, the Oh, it's mostly beat, yeah, yeah. Everything like that yeah. is kind of taking away. But uh, with bluegrass and gospel and country music, like it's really focused on the words and the melody of it.
1: Oh, I love it. Those it's 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 like like they say a three minute movie. Mm-hmm. But the harmonies, um, even the Beatles, you know, would re- refer back to the Everly Brothers? Listening to those records in England, they were listening to those records over and over, and the Everly Brothers, I mean, you know those guys. If you know Harmony, you know what those guys are about. And they said they took all their harmonies
0: from a good part of their sound. Really? From, from Don and Phil. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So If you and, listen to uh, their records, you'll hear it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm definitely going to have to go back and uh, re-listen to that. Because there's there's some of these records that I have put out. And like my very first album, you've never actually heard. It was from when I was 18 years old. Um, my band got second place in a Battle of the Bands back in Missouri. Nice. And the uh, guy who was hosting the Battle of the Bands uh, was a teacher at my school. And he wanted my band to win, but he wasn't a judge. So he was in charge of the whole program, and it was between all of the public school student bands in in my town. And this other band got first place by one half of one point. (laughs) And we got second place. So this teacher guy who was in charge of the whole show decided that instead of the first place band getting all of the money to record a record, first and second place, we're going to split it evenly. <laughs> so my band got, I think it was $1,000 to, uh, to go record an album. And we, we ended up pushing more of our own money into it. But we recorded a seven song EP. In Colombia? In Columbia, back in my hometown, and uh, like four of the songs were songs I'd written, and a couple of them were co-writes, which was – back then, I didn't understand what that was – it was, it, we, we just called it a collaboration because like I wrote the chords and the singer wrote the words and he changed the order of the chords and he's like, oh, this will be cooler. And I was like, oh, that's so much cooler. Why didn't I think of that? And it's I had no idea what that kind of dynamic of co-writing was going to become way more important in my later life. But we recorded an album and our band and the album were both called Lot 56. Nice. That was what my album and my band were called. The uh, the record that we ended up putting out was uh, almost exclusively tracked live, which is really weird for our super super produced world that we live in now, where people are going in and doing a thousand overdubs and whatever. But uh, because we were on such a tight budget for everything, we were like, okay, we've in the week leading up to it, we practiced. 6 hours a day for every day. Like mm. we played the seven songs that we had over and over and over That's and over heavy. and over and over and over. Because we knew we only had so much time to pay for in the studio, we didn't want to fuck up when we were actually playing. So, we went and tracked an entire record live, which is I think about it now bonkers. Very professional. We it was the best I've ever played in my entire life. So the only overdubs we did, we did The band tracked the song with a scratch vocal, and then uh, the singer went in and overdubbed the final vocals, and I overdubbed the guitar solos. So I had to write parts for songs that I had never written before, because when we'd play live with the band, there wouldn't be a rhythm guitar part. I would just go into the solo. So I had to write like, oh, shit, I got I got to put chords underneath this for the first time. So I was pushing myself because I mean I was 17, 18 years old. I had yeah. no idea how to what chord goes underneath 8000 notes of a guitar solo. And it's fun going back and listening I mean, to that.
1: Is that album available this today?
0: If, yeah, if you want Can to you? listen to it, it's uh <laughs> it's available on Spotify still called Lot 56. Oh my god. And The uh, the artwork on there. So there's another band on Spotify called Lot Fifty Six that is not not my band from back then. It's another band that I. This is not to be confused
1: with Area Fifty (laughs) One in
0: uh, New Mexico. So there's uh, if you go on to Spotify, there are three, four four releases under Spotify's Lot Fifty Six. There's one single called One Man Rolling Stone, not me. Then there's uh, three albums. There is self-titled Lot 56 from 2012, that's me. And then there's two others that are not me. But the, uh, the album cover is just a black and white album cover. And that's it's something that my friend yeah. drew in Sharpie in uh, a chemistry class. And she's like, hey, this would be a cool logo for your band. And I was like... <laughs> That's a great logo. I'm gonna use that. That's gonna be the album art for our <laughs> release. It's awesome! Our listeners
1: cannot see this, but yep, it's, it's, it is very
0: cool. It's just a scan of a printer paper that she did, and then we uh, typed over it. Lot five six, and that was uh, that was our first release. But there's there's so much fun stuff on there. Going and listening back because I didn't think of it this way, but we were a prog rock band. What were your lyrics like? Were you saying anything? Oh, Jesus, Paul. <laughs> Sorry. The The lyrics of the first song we learned as a band, the first song I ever wrote, the chorus was, uh, the thoughts <laughs> in my brain are scattered like beans on the floor. Yeah, on the floor. <laughs> the words in my dreams are weirder than the day before. The day before. <laughs> oh, that's heavy. It was so bad. <laughs> And the the songs, like, I didn't realize it at the time because we were just just playing what we felt, loud, fast, whatever. But uh, we were changing time signatures three or four times a song. So the intro of that song's in 7-4, and then there'd be a breakdown in 5-4, and then the chorus would be in (laughs) 4-4. And I didn't realize at the time that we were just a straight-up prog rock band. Wow. Rush, Yes, anything like that. We were just a fucking prog rock band. Playing loud, big amps. Play, oh, dude, look behind you right there.
1: That That is a Bugera
0: 55-watt half stack with four 12-inch Celestian speakers. That thing is loud enough to fill a fucking stadium, dude.
1: And it's it, it looks amazing. Too bad you all can't see this. It's
0: That's huge. cool-looking thing. It is a cool-looking amp. I haven't used it for a record in years, but it is a... Heavy duty amp, four twelves. The yeah, four twelves. I mean, the the amp head and the speaker cabinet together probably weigh seventy five pounds. It's humongous, and that that is what I grew into. <laughs> I haven't used that forever, and I'm just waiting for the day when I have a full recording studio, and that's just gonna live there, and it's gonna be just that Bugera. I don't know if you're familiar with this brand. It is a hard rock, hard. Rock. High high gain. Is that
1: English? Is that English I think so? Because those Marshalls remember that Marshalls,
0: it's got that nice uh cursive lettering. <laughs> yeah. But man, I drove this thing into the wall. That's we awesome. like the master volume there, I I mean we'd played gigs at like five hundred capacity venues back then. And those are still some of the biggest crowds I've ever played to. Is there
1: another top to this?
0: You have a- No, I've only oh, got this oh, okay. half right here. <laughs> but this thing got so loud that the master volume, we never had to turn past two or three. It's just because after, after a certain threshold, my ears couldn't even determine how, how loud it was. I could just feel the ground shaking beneath me yikes that was rock and roll that's rock and roll baby well hey let's take a quick commercial break and we'll come right back with the nashville tour stop podcast Welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us here today. And across the table from me here is my pal, longtime friend of the show, and uh, probably the guy in town I've had the most beer with throughout my my tenure here, Mr. Paul fucking Ivy. What an honor. So we've just been talking about a whole heck of a lot of stuff today, Um, but... I, w- I want to learn a little bit more about you and and what you what you've done in, in your music career and uh, I do know that you uh, you had a gold record. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Brag to me, since I've never had a gold record. Well, it's it's what you might call a backdoor gold record, but it, yes, I did get one
1: uh, when I went and out. That's five hundred thousand. Five hundred <laughs> thousand. Yeah, yeah, but that's sales. That's units. Five hundred thousand. It's not streaming. Good God. And um, and that actually was in um, – I forget where it actually went to number one. I, it was either Australia or, or um, South Africa. It, uh, but the single – well, here, let me back up. I, when I went to L.A. I, – actually, I should back up even more. I, we moved to L.A., but then I went back to school in upstate New York when I went to uh, college up near Woodstock, New York. And that was a real mecca – of uh, music too. So I played in all of the Okay, cool. all of the local bands up there. Anyway, so eventually that wore off and I came back to LA. Okay. And after, when I came back to LA, I met and hung out with LA had a country rock scene. Okay. That kind of started with kind of started with like Buffalo Springfield, Poco, Loggins and Messina. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of a West Coast, um, Graham Parsons sound. And I started hanging around with these guys. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, met writers, met musicians, met uh, Ron Coleman. Who was a, he was a player out there that had been the bass player for the Everly Brothers. Okay. And he became a friend of mine. And through him, I met a lot of players like Albert Lee. Became I've known Albert since the 70s. Um, and we became like buddies. And... Met Rocky Burnett, who was the son of uh, Johnny Burnett, which if everybody's out there knows the Burnett trio, was one of the founding rock and roll, like Elvis type days. Cool. And uh, so Rocky was his son. So anyway, I came up with an idea called Angel and Chambray. And I went over there and, you know, we'd hang out and I dumped that idea onto Rocky and Ron Coleman, Rocky Burnett. And they, we wrote that song. And so when Rocky had his hit Tired of Towing the Line... Which was an international hit, um, the album I I got on the album with Angel and Chambers. Sweet.
0: Yeah. So that album took a nice ride. Friend of the show and the one of the only people I know who's got a fucking gold record, man. Yeah.
1: And it was funny because at the time it went gold. It was on EMI and they called me up and they said, Would you like the would you like a gold record? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. I said, do you just give them out? And they go, oh, no, you have to buy it. (laughs) How much were they? It was about 200 bucks. (laughs) And I said, nah, that's okay. I don't really want that record. (laughs) So what I did was, about a year ago, I don't know if you remember this, I had the vinyl that they gave Mm me, and I bought gold paint (laughs) at Home Depot.
0: (laughs) You have a DIY gold record. I sprayed it. (laughs) You You have a... Real, fake, somehow, both gold record. And I hung it on the wall with one of the shelves your
1: dad, ma- or you made. I made that one. But you know what? There was a funny story about, and I think it was one of the Beatles, saying that they had taken one of their gold records and tried to play it. Mm-hmm. Didn't it, do it. it was some, no, it was some other song. It was
0: just like <laughs> a different artist. <laughs> they just took a record and sprayed it gold. My God. So I did that. Well, what? mine's the real deal. So, uh, Rocky Burnett. Rocky man. Burnett, yeah. I wonder if that, I mean, look at all these 45s up here, man. There's a, there's a good chance that it oh, could be up Oh, there's a
1: very good chance, yeah. That song, Tired of Towing the Line, went went well, Went well. to number eight here on the Billboard charts, but around the world, it was a knockout. And I remember at the old Bobby's Idol Hour, there was an album cover with Johnny, the Burnett trio. No or way! Burnett. That's yeah, cool. I, I remember sitting there going, Whoa! Oh.
0: Back in the day, but so that was I, out in L.A., right? Yeah, that was out in L.A. Yeah. So you've lived in New York, uh, L.A., in Las Vegas for a couple years too. I was working for a company that moved to
1: Vegas. And they asked me to join them, and so I went up and lived there for two years. Yeah, gotcha.
0: But uh, more, more, moreover, with the uh, the Los Angeles life, you were an actor also. This is true. Another this is one true. Of my- <laughs> you've uh, a <laughs> you have had. More success than many actors who go to Los Angeles and try to make it. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you did uh, on camera? Well, since you
1: ask, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, well, of course, I had to take act, You know, you take acting lessons, and it's kind of it's a tough. It, it was a tough game. It's uh, it, I guess anything where you want to make it to the top. But basically, I fell in with um, some good classes. I, ha- I had a, a C level agent that cool. got me onto TV as day player, you know, one liners, parts. I mean and then my joined Screen Actors Guild, you had to join that. And the, as in Tennessee it's a work a right to work state. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be in the union. Back in the back out there, if you're not in a union,
0: you, you won't get hired. So you, wow. you join Screen Actors Guild. You have Guild. to be in this. Yeah. you have to be in SAG. And is SAG different than SAG Afra?
1: Well, SAG used to be SAG, and after used to be after,
0: and then they oh, merged. so they just joined. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, they just merged. So um, I could have joined sag Afro when I uh, was on the Nashville CMT show because really? I joined I or like I was there as an extra, but they fired one of their actors on set because he kept ducking out of frame, like he was nervous to be in front of the camera or something. So I'm sitting there just quietly. Minding my own business as an extra, this actor keeps ducking out of frame. And the director goes, cut! You, ducking out of frame. Get the fuck out of here. Just like that? You sitting next to him. Take his spot. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how I got onto TV. Then I got to do four episodes. (laughs) Oh, my God. See how God works. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And see, I was talking to my buddy named Jed, who uh, is an actor out in L.A. And he, he was telling me about that. He's like, man, what you experienced is what... Tens of thousands of people move here hoping to have happen. And he's like, I'm kind of jealous because you didn't even care. Isn't <laughs> that how it is? It's, it's like, I didn't even care. So if I ever wanted to audition for a role, I have credential. I have been on network television. Well, to get
1: into SAG, you had to be...
0: I was on set for you four be, days. You had
1: to be bumped up to had, speaking to some part. Yeah. Not so an extra. I
0: I was a, I a radio producer for yeah. one of the for one of the characters on that show, and then uh, I was invited back for the finale. So I'm on stage at the Ryman in the finale of Nashville CMT, dude. Yeah, it's it's crazy, just because all of my actor friends were like, "Dude, I I wish that had been me," and I was like, "Yeah, I just took the check and went home. <laughs> I didn't even care." So you uh, you you were on a couple of TV shows, right? Uh, yeah, th- th- you kind of work
1: your way up the ladder. I did get on Murder, She Wrote. I did uh, four seasons for them. I did Dallas and 90210, Back in the TV Days, Doogie Hauser. I did a couple of movies. I did one actually with David Bowie. No way! Uh, did which, uh, one, which one was that? The Linguini Incident. Okay. And uh, a couple other films, but really one of the pinnacles of my acting career. I mean, I don't know if anybody out there knows who Bob Rafelson is. But he was a very big time director, okay, and he was doing a commercial in town. These guys would pick up a little cash a couple days' work, and hired me to do this national commercial for guest quarters uh, suites, which was a great deal sweet made some money, did that but but I get I was able to work with a really
0: that's cool man big
1: time I mean this is like, I mean you worked like, with like David front, Bowie.
0: There's yeah, not was, there's not a lot of people who can get, who, who can say who that. Was actually a
1: very cool guy,
0: really, very calm and sweet. So, uh, which film was that? The ling- Linguini incident. The Linguini. I mean, incident. I
1: believe me, dude. These are all <laughs> B-side <laughs> movies. I
0: mean, we're not talking major releases. That's, but that's that still counts, man. I'm just that saying. still counts. I know that's cool though. Uh, I yeah, I've always thought that it would be fun to be in in the TV industry because. Uh, as much as I love music and love being in the music industry, I think that TV is my favorite kind of media to consume I just watch television just like do you like movies do you like films i en- I enjoy TV more than I enjoy films oh. but I'll still watch movies I watched a couple of movies last night when I was at home it took the took the evening off from going out and just watched I think two movies but then i watched a documentary about metallica so i like i like stuff like that <laughs> that's cool
1: documentaries are cool i i just recently saw the elvis movie no way which is ins- how is that i haven't seen amazing. it yet amazing you amazing. really should see it yeah okay cool i'll I definitely yeah i'll definitely it, it, give the, that a go it, 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 the best part of it was i mean everybody knows everybody knows he was great the king and just did drugs and all of that stuff at the end the cool part of the movie is it shows where that all came from okay And how he hung out with people and how he was up in Memphis, Mm -hmm. up in these rooms, in these hotel rooms where these people would have these parties and just bang on pianos and just go crazy. Right. And tents, little tent cities like carnivals. And he'd sneak in as a kid and that's where he got this, that rhythm, you know, and, uh, that
0: was the coolest part. I thought, where did that all come from? Elvis. Sweet, yeah, it was cool. Man, that's that's uh, that's cool. I'll definitely have to check out oh, that yeah. movie. Well, Paul, thank you for coming on the oh, show today. Cool. Uh, I want to ask you one more question. Okay, you've got a you've got your yourself in a like a circuit of places you like to play and bars you like to go to. Where where are some places in Nashville that people might be able to find you on uh, any given day? Just places you like to go and hang out. Well, I'll be, you
1: know, I mean, I don't mean to make this sound like I'm blowing smoke, but I always like to go to Nashville tourist-type events because those are my friends. Either I'm playing it or I'm drinking at it (laughs) (laughs) or just hanging out. So, you know, Aaron, you've got a nice streak of places. There's the Cambria Hotel. There's um, uh, the um, Sunnies. Sunnies Sunnies is good. Uh, I mean, of course, we know Belcourt and we know Cabana are kind of like in rear view. All right, those places. Yeah. But... um, You know, you did the basement for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whenever I see an NTS show, I always like to go there. Then there's, like, the listening room. I remember you sold out the listening room. That was a good gig. That's cool. We'll be back there in September, actually. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's another good one. And, um, you know, just um, friendly local places where I know – you know, there's nothing like walking into some place where you know you're going to see some friends. It's like Cheers. Exactly. They had it right, man. They did.
0: Where everybody knows your name and everyone's glad you came. Yeah, and you just feel like you're part of a crowd. It's it's good to walk into a place and actually know somebody because, man, when I first moved here, I didn't know fucking fucking soul. Ditto. And it's hard to go to a bar now where I don't know someone, and I'll leave it right at this. It was uh, It was maybe three or four weeks ago I... I was planning on going to see a lineup of, I think it was three of my friends' bands. And I'm going to leave the promoter and show out of this. But the promoter and show does similar to what Tour Stop does. And it goes to different places, kind of just depending on where they get shows lined up. But uh, I saw the lineup. I saw the time. I had everything set, put it in my calendar, drove over to the venue, walked in, bought a ticket, and I was like, Ah, oh, the ticket said 10 bucks. Why did it cost $17 to get in here? And I was like, yeah, maybe it was a weird, like, door surcharge. Okay, that's weird. So I bought a beer. And I was like, I don't know anyone in this bar. And I know, not to blow smoke up my own ass, but I know a lot of people. And I didn't know a goddamn person. And then I was like, okay, maybe I'm early. I walked out onto the patio. More people I didn't know. So I double-checked the poster. It was at the wrong. I was at the wrong venue. No, I've done that. I spent twenty five dollars for a ticket and a beer, and I was so pissed. I didn't <laughs> even drink the beer. I just slammed it down on a table and left. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can find tour stop at a bunch of different places, but we're always at the same ones, different day of the week depending. But uh, Paul, thanks for coming on today. Uh, you you have music on, uh, what is it, uh, Reverb
1: Nation? Reverb Nation, you know, and on Instagram, Paul Ivy Music. Um, but, you know, I usually post where I'm playing. Last week I had about five places I played. And um, so, yeah, I just like, I'll be around, you know. Um, contact my agent, Aaron Shill <laughs>
0: who, <laughs> who will tell you. You can, you can come to a show and hear Paul sing <laughs> Honky Tonk collar.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: Well, uh, Paul, thanks for being on here today. You can follow us on social media at Nashville Tour Stop. That's Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and Facebook. Follow us all of those places. You can also check us out uh, live and in person. You can come hang out with me and Paul. Uh, Check out our live event calendar on NashvilleTourStop.com. Watch our video series called Trendsetters. There's there's so many cool stories of people here in town. Uh, We do shorts with uh different people and those are like a minute long and then we do long form interviews with some people and they get to do an acoustic performance and we've got several episodes of that out but check out trendsetters and trendsetters showroom also uh just come hang out with us at a show that's the most that's the most fun part you get to have a drink you get to meet your friends and you get to see me and paul being dumb So in the meantime, while we close out the episode for today, you should remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville Nashville Tour Tour Stop. Yeehaw, motherfucker. motherfucker.